1: Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our Pali Canon and English study group where we study the words of the Buddha in this book series titled The Words of the Buddha, The Path to Enlightenment, Revealing the Hidden. We're in volume 11, which is titled The Realms of Existence. Today we're studying chapters 101 through 110. And if you've been joining us regularly, you might have read these chapters before class so that then you're more prepared coming into the class and you might have some questions that you'd like to get answered as a result of your individual independent study. But if you haven't read these chapters ahead of time or if this is the first time that you've joined us, no worries because we're going to be displaying those on the screen and actually reading them in class. I'll share some teachings with you and then open up to any questions that you have. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our class today. And in order to get these books so that you can read ahead, if you'd like, is you can just go to BuddhaDailyWisdom.com. And from there, you can download them. You can order them off of Amazon. You can also print them yourself if you like. Just get the files and print them. It's totally up to you. But you're always welcome to join this program, which is on Saturday. And we also have a program on Sunday and Wednesday called the Group Learning Program. That's the program that I suggest people start in. And we use this book, Volume 1, as our book for that program. And then in this program, we use Volumes 2 through Volume 13 of this book series. And these two programs together will help you to build up your practice and gradually train the mind to move closer and closer to enlightenment. The way that we start this class, we typically will meditate ahead of time in order to prepare the mind for the actual class because meditating prior to class, it kind of clears out the mind and allows you to retain the teachings for a longer period of time so that then you can actually apply them in your daily life. So I'd like to invite all of you to meditate together. If you're joining through Zoom or Facebook or YouTube or you're watching this on the replay, you're more than welcome to meditate with us together. And. What you would probably do is take a position of either the seated, lying, or standing positions. And I'll do some chance to just kind of ease us into meditation. I'll give you a little bit of light guidance and then do some chance to kind of bring us out of meditation. And then we'll move into the actual teaching part of the class. So go ahead and take your position, whichever one you'd like. And you can just start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. And you can just stay there and establish the breath if you like. But if you'd like to join along in the chants, you can join along, and then I'll be back with some guidance to help you get more out of your meditation. <laughs>
2: Bhūtaṁ mākheva na api vate mi Svakha to mākhavata tammo Namah namasāmi so, Pati Pano Maka Wato Sawaka Sanko Sankang Arato to the massa putasa. Not more asa to Nap mo rasa bhaka vato ara iti pisu ma Arahang samma sammoto. We cha charanang sammuno. kawitu. Anu tero purisa. Dhamasati Satawa Manusana Po to Okay,
3: you should just be breathing in through the nose
1: and out through the nose. Here you're just establishing the breath. Your breath isn't going to match to the guidance that I provide, but wherever you get to the next inhale, just breathe in gradually through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And then whenever you get to the next exhale, just exhale out through the nose, experiencing the full breath. Breathing in, in, out. Start fixating the mind on the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving over the skin into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. With the mind fixated on the breath, whenever you notice that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work. Of focusing on the breath. Cutting off and letting go any the mind is off the breath. No need to label the thought, analyze it, observe it, or judge it. Wherever you observe that the mind is off the breath, just cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in, in, out.
2: khaṁ saṁ maṁ saṁ moṭoṁ maṅkhaṁ pōṁ dhāmāng nama sāmi supatipa no mākavato sāvaka Nap more, some Nap more ha hako ato ato some massa vi ca ca ranang samuro sakato kawito anutero porisa dama sati satatawa manussana
1: all right, if you guys would like to slowly make your way out of meditation, just a short little meditation just to kind of top up the mind a little bit as we prepare for our class. The way that this class works is we read each chapter of the chapters that we chose to study This week, it's chapters 101 through 110. There's a student who will volunteer in Zoom to actually read each chapter. And then afterwards, I'll provide some teachings on that and then open up to any questions that you guys have. So I'll just turn things over to all of you guys so that you can go ahead and move through the class and read each chapter. Um, Yes, sir, I'll read
4: the first chapter. Uh, The Heavenly Being's Good Destination. Monks, when a heavenly being is about to pass away from the company of heavenly beings, five signs appear. His garlands wither, his clothes get soiled, sweat comes out of his armpits, a dullness descends on his body. He no longer excites in his own heavenly being seat. The heavenly beings, knowing from this that this heavenly being son is about to pass away, Encourage him with three sayings Go from here, honorable sir, to a good destination. Having gone to a good destination, gain the gain that is good to gain. Having gained the gain that is good to gain, become well established. When this was said, a certain monk said to the perfectly enlightened one, What, venerable sir, is the heavenly being's fate of going to a good destination? What is their fate of the gain that is good to gain? What is their fate of becoming well-established? The human state, monks, is the heavenly being's fate of going to a good destination. Having become a human being, acquiring conviction in the teachings and discipline taught by the Tathagata, this is the heavenly being's fate of the gain that is good to gain. When that conviction is settled within one, rooted, established, and strong, not to be destroyed by any Brahmin or ascetic, heavenly being, Mara or Brahma, God, or anyone else in the world, this is the heavenly being state of becoming well-established. When a heavenly being passes away from the company of heavenly beings, through his lifespan's ending, three sounds sound forth. The heavenly being's encouragement. Go from here, honorable sir, to a good destination, to companionship with human beings. On becoming a human being, acquire a conviction unsurpassed in the true teachings. That conviction of yours in the true teachings, well taught, should be settled, rooted, established, undestroyed as long as you live. Having abandoned bodily misconduct, verbal misconduct, mental misconduct, and whatever else is flawed, having done with the body what's skillful, and much that is skillful with speech, having done what's skillful with a heart without limit, With no material gain, then, having made much of the merit that's a ground for spontaneously arising in heaven through giving, establish other mortals in the true teachings and the holy life. With this sympathy, the heavenly beings, when they know a heavenly being is passing away, encourage him, come back, heavenly being, again and again.
1: All right. Thank you, Miranda. So here we're still looking at chapters related to the heavenly realm. And going through these various realms. We started with hell, we went into the animal realm, afflicted spirits, human realm, and now we've been studying chapters on the heavenly realm. And one of the things that I've shared with you guys about the heavenly realm is these beings are still in the cycle of rebirth. They're experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings, and oftentimes because of that, they end up Getting complacent and not actually moving to enlightenment. It's in the human realm, in the heavenly realm, that beings can get to enlightenment. But here in the human realm, we experience all three feelings of discontentedness. We experience pleasant feelings, which are like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria. We experience painful feelings like anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear. And we experience neither painful nor pleasant, kind of like displeasure or uncomfortableness. These three feelings are motivating human beings to learn and practice to get to enlightenment because human beings typically don't like those sad feelings or that grief or the fear and these other discontent feelings that we experience. So we have this kind of built-in motivation to get to enlightenment. But not so in the heavenly realm. In the heavenly realm, they're only experiencing that happiness, excitement, and elation. So, therefore, they tend to be very complacent. And here you can see where the Buddha is talking about a good destination after heaven would be the human realm. Oftentimes, human beings think that it's desirable to get to the heavenly realm, but here you can see the Buddha's actually saying just the opposite. He's sharing how the heavenly realm is not the most desirable place, essentially, and instead, it's the human realm where he's saying, you know, essentially that, yeah, this is a good destination, and the reason why is because we tend to be motivated to get to enlightenment. The ultimate goal is to get to enlightenment, not to get to the heavenly realm. So, if you understand that's the goal, and you understand that the human realm is the best possible realm to do that in, then you start to really treasure this birth in this human realm. And you may have had previous births in the human realm, but now you're in the human realm. Don't allow it to go to waste, is essentially what the Buddha says in other discourses of his. So, Rather than allow the mind to become complacent or you know turn away from the challenges that you experience, instead, maintain your dedication, your diligence to learning and practicing and getting to enlightenment in this life so that you'll no longer experience this continuous birth, which if there's birth, there's going to be sickness, aging, and death. There's going to be this misery and this grief. And sure, we look at the brighter side of life and, you know, we're taught to do that. And that's one of the things that we do in order to kind of get by. But in the unenlightened state, the mind is actually can be sometimes quite miserable to experience those painful feelings in the neither painful nor pleasant feelings. So now that you're here in this human state, this is a good destination. Perhaps you were in the human realm before. Perhaps you were in other realms before. Perhaps you were even in the heavenly realm before. But now is your opportunity in this life to be able to learn and practice and get to enlightenment. What questions do you guys have on this chapter?
4: Uh, it does not appear that there are any questions at this time, sir.
1: All right. So we'll move to chapter 102.
4: Yes, sir. Let's go to Jan to read chapter 102. Thank you,
3: Miranda. Beings are few who are reborn among heavenly beings or human beings because they have not seen the Four Noble Truths. What do you think, monks? Which is more, the little bit of soil in my fingernail or the great earth? Venerable sir, the great earth is more. That the little bit of soil that the perfectly enlightened one is taking up in his fingernail is insignificant. Compared to the great earth, The little bit of soil that the perfectly enlightened one has taken up in his fingernail is not calculable, does not bear comparison, does not amount even to a fraction. So too, monks. Those beings are few who, when they pass away as heavenly beings, are reborn among the heavenly beings. But those beings are more numerous who, when they pass away as heavenly beings, are reborn in hell, in the animal realm, in the realm of afflicted spirits for what reason because monks they have not seen the four noble truths what for the noble truth of discontentedness the noble truth of the cause of discontentedness the noble truth of the elimination of discontentedness the noble truth of the way leading to the elimination of discontentedness therefore monks an effort should be made to understand this is discontentedness an effort should be made to understand this is the cause of discontentedness an effort should be made to understand this is the elimination of discontentedness an effort should be made to understand this is the way leading to the elimination of discontentedness what do you think monks which is more the little bit of soil in my fingernail or the great earth venerable sir the great earth is more it's a little bit of soil that the perfectly enlightened one has taken up in his fingernail is insignificant. Compared to the great Earth, the little bit of soil that the perfectly enlightened one has taken up in his fingernail is not calculable, does not bear comparison, does not amount even to a fraction. So too monks, those beings are few who, when they pass away as heavenly beings, are reborn among human beings. But those beings are more numerous who, when they pass away as heavenly beings, are reborn in hell, in the animal realm, in the realm of afflicted spirits. For what reason? Because monks, they have not seen the Four Noble Truths. What for? The Noble Truth of Discontentedness, the Noble Truth of the Cause of Discontentedness, the Noble Truth of the Elimination of Discontentedness, the Noble Truth of the Way leading to the Elimination of Discontentedness. Therefore monks, An effort should be made to understand. This is discontentedness. An effort should be made to understand. This is the cause of discontentedness. An effort should be made to understand. This is the elimination of discontentedness. An effort should be made to understand. This is the way leading to the elimination of discontentedness.
1: Thank you, Jan. So here, the Buddha is sharing with you that it's very rare for heavenly beings to be reborn into the human realm. You know, the previous discourse, he was saying that would be the you know, good destination, but here he's saying it's very rare. And the reason why is because they haven't seen the Four Noble Truths. It's the Four Noble Truths, which is the Buddha's first discourse to help you understand What is the cause of discontentedness and how to actually eliminate it? This is where you experience the breakthrough to understanding why you experience anger and sadness and frustration and all these other discontent feelings. This is helping you to establish what is called right view. If you didn't have right view established, you wouldn't know what is the problem in the unenlightened mind, what is the cause, what is the elimination, and what is the complete path forward. And without right view, that means an individual has wrong view. And what wrong view would be, would be to blame other people for our feelings or our our emotions, the, the anger, the sadness, the frustration, any kind of annoyance that you're feeling, and all the other discontent feelings. If you're blaming others, then you're still having wrong view. So the more that you understand the Four Noble Truths and making that effort that the Buddha talks about to understand the Four Noble Truths and then practice them in daily life where you're accepting responsibility for your discontent mind, When you're able to do this and have that breakthrough, then you can establish right view. And now when you know what the problem is, because you have right view, you can actually solve it. But as long as we have wrong view, we don't understand what the problem is, and we typically blame other people, we blame a situation or something like this, and that's why the mind just is stuck in this cycle of just being reborn over and over and over and over again because it keeps having this anger over and over and over and over again or these sadness or these other discontent feelings because it doesn't understand the problem. It hasn't yet established right view. But once the mind establishes right view, and it understands that it's causing its own discontent feelings because of craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing and strong eagerness. And that the way you eliminate that is you eliminate craving, desire, attachment through breathing mindfulness meditation, through practicing generosity, and other teachings as well. And then the path forward is the Eightfold Path. This is what completely brings a complete end to all discontentedness in the mind. And having that breakthrough and being able to see that clearly, then you can actually solve the discontent mind. And keep in mind that the Buddhist teachings, they're not based on belief. You shouldn't believe the Four Noble Truths, but instead you're learning, reflecting, and practicing. You learn intellectually, you reflect on the Four Noble Truths and start to understand That they're true, but then you start practicing and seeing the truth for yourself. So if you haven't studied the Four Noble Truths with the words of the Buddha, it's really important that you do that. There's the words that I share in terms of what the Four Noble Truths are to help people get started in the group learning program and other venues that I teach in. And then there's the Buddha's words on the Four Noble Truths. You're going to need to know both of these in order to established right view. And there's other things as well. So be sure that you have deeply learned those and you've deeply understood them because oftentimes someone who might have learned other places and they might hear me talk about the Four Noble Truths, it might be like, yeah, 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 I know the Four Noble Truths. I've seen those before. But then you ask yourself, what causes anger? And if you can't answer that question and very easily, very simply of what causes anger, then you don't yet know what the four noble truths are. And if you are asked the question, you know, what eliminates anger? And if you can't answer that question, then you don't yet know the four noble truths and you're not practicing it. And then if you are asked the question, well, what is the way to completely eliminate all of anger in the mind, for example? And if you can't answer that question, then you don't yet know. The Four Noble Truths. So, even though you might have seen different versions of the Four Noble Truths, it's not until you understand them through the resources that I'm sharing, which has the words of the Buddha, where when you understand the Four Noble Truths through the words of the Buddha, then you deeply can understand them and practice them. And where you need help, you reach out and get help. Because as the Buddha is sharing here, you would need to know the Four Noble Truths in order to experience an improved. Rebirth, even if you are in heaven, you know, most likely what he's sharing here is heavenly beings are reborn into hell, the animal realm, and the afflicted spirits because they haven't learned and practiced the noble truths yet. They haven't had that breakthrough, that establishing of right view to understand what's actually causing the discontentedness. What questions do you guys have on this chapter?
4: It does not appear that there are any questions at this time, sir.
1: All right. So, we will go to the next chapter, which is chapter 103. Here we're going to start talking about this uh, long course of the cycle of rebirth. The Buddha's going to start describing this for you.
4: Yes, sir.
5: Let's go to Ali to read chapter 103, please. Thank you, Miranda. Assembly of an Eon, first discourse. Venerable Sir, how long is an eon? An, e- an eon is long, mon. It is not easy to count it and say it so many years or so many hundreds of year, or so many thousands of year, or so many hundreds of thousands of years. Then is it possible to give a seminary Venerable Sir, it is possible, Monk, the perfectly enlightened one said. Suppose, Monk, there was a great storm, stone mountain, a yana 12 15 kilometers long, a yana wide. And a Yolanda height without hole of crevice, one solid mass of rock. At the end of every hundred year, a man would stroke it once with a piece of castle and claw. That great stone mountain might, by this effort, be. Worn away and eliminated, but the eon would still not have come to an end. So how long is an eon, monk? And of eon of such length, we have wandered through so many eons, so many hundreds of eons, so many thousands of eons, so many hundreds of thousands of eons. For what reason? Because, Hmong, the cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. The first point is not to identify, identifiable of being roaming and wandering on, hindered on. by ignorance and knowing of the true reality and fettered by craving. For such a long time, Hmong, you have experienced discontentness, mystery and disaster and swell the cemetery. It is enough to experience faking away of strong feeling towards all condition, enough to become free from strong feeling towards them, enough to be liberated from them.
1: Thank you, Ali. Thank
5: you.
1: Yeah. So here, this simile on an eon is explaining to you essentially that an eon is incalculable. It's not possible to say how many years it is. So the Buddha gives this story to explain if there was a mountain that was 12 to 15 kilometers long, 12 to 15 kilometers wide, and it was 12 to 15 kilometers high. That's extremely high in the the sky. And at the end of every 100 years, you just take a cloth and you stroke that mountain. He says, you know, going through that process, this mountain would be worn away and the eon still would not have come to an end, right? So it's this, you know, immeasurable amount of time. And I'm not sure how high they could actually count during the lifetime of the Buddha. They at least counted up to 100,000. They were able to count up to that number. You know, I don't know if they had millions or billions or trillions. But the way that we look at the earth itself is we say right now that we think that it's about 4.5 billion years old, which is a number that we can say, but I don't think that we really can fathom how long of a time that really is. That's an enormous amount of time. So an eon is you know, an incalculable amount of time. I don't know if they maybe couldn't count to millions. Maybe it's 10 million years. Maybe it's 20 million years. Maybe it's 40 million years, we don't know. Maybe it's 1 billion years, we don't know, right? But the Buddha is essentially saying that we've all roamed and wandered in this cycle of rebirth for countless eons and that we've swollen this cemetery. Essentially, we've been born and died and born and died and born and died so many times as different beings, you know, in all these different five realms and he's saying you know what is enough is to get away from these strong feelings eliminate the conditions eliminating the strong feelings that are in the mind and become liberated from them and that's what's going to end this whole cycle of rebirth is eliminating the craving anger and ignorance more specifically, the ten fetters, and then through purifying the mind of those pollutions, that's what brings the mind into the peacefulness and the calmness and eradicates these strong feelings and ends this whole cycle of rebirth. And it's wisdom that allows you to get there. When we lack wisdom, we just keep experiencing the same problem over and over and over and over again. This is the cycle of rebirth going over and over, In this life, you can see that you've been experiencing potentially the same problems over and over and over and over and over again. And it's not until you learn and gain wisdom that you can overcome that challenge and then you don't experience it anymore. But as long as we don't have the wisdom, then we keep experiencing it over and over and over again. So that's happening on a day by day, week by week, month by month basis and individual problems, but it's also happening at a much larger level in terms of all these different existences that you've had in the cycle of rebirth is because you didn't have wisdom that you needed to get to enlightenment, you've been encountering the same problem over and over, which is birth. So while the problem is definitely craving anger and ignorance, and this is what causes the discontent mind in eradicating craving anger and ignorance, gets to this peaceful, calm, and content mind with joy where the mind is enlightened, you've solved that problem. But the bigger problem that every unenlightened being is experiencing is the cycle of rebirth. But you solve one, you solve the other. So it's craving that causes rebirth. It causes the birth to keep going over and over and over again. and. What's causing craving to exist in the mind is it's this ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. So by cultivating wisdom, you overcome the challenges that you've been incurring in this life and in previous lives over and over and over again on an individual basis. But then you solve the bigger problem, which is the cycle of rebirth. Because if there's no more birth, then there can't be sickness, aging, and death. You can't experience Grief, misery, despair, and any kind of painful feelings if there's no birth. It's only because there's birth that you continue to experience these feelings. So by eradicating the craving, anger, and ignorance, you eliminate discontentedness, and you also eliminate the continuous rebirth. What questions do you guys have on this chapter?
4: It does not appear that there are any questions at this time, sir.
1: Okay, so we'll go to the next one.
4: Uh, Yes, for chapter 104, Um, a simile of an eon, Second Discourse. Venerable sir, how long is an eon? An eon is long, monk. It is not easy to count and say it is so many years or so many hundreds of years or so many thousands of years or so many hundreds of thousands of years. Then is it possible to give a simile, Venerable sir? It is possible, monk, the perfectly enlightened one said. Suppose, monk, there was a city with iron walls and a yojana, 12 to 15 kilometers long, a yojana wide and a yojana high, filled with mustard seeds as dense as a topknot. At the end of every hundred years, a man would remove one mustard seed from there. The great heap of mustard seeds might, by this effort, be depleted and eliminated, but the eon would still not have come to an end. So long as an eon, monk, and of eons of such length, we have wandered through so many eons, and so many hundreds of eons, so many thousands of eons, so many hundreds of thousands of eons. Because monk, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning, a first point is not identifiable of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance or unknowing of true reality, and fettered by craving. For such a long time, monks, you have experienced discontentedness, misery and disaster, and swelled the cemetery. It is enough to experience fading away of strong feelings towards all conditions, enough to become free from strong feelings toward them, enough to be liberated from them.
1: Okay, thank you, Miranda. So here's another simile to help us understand this incalculable amount of time that a eon is. So the Buddha is describing a city with these iron walls that are 12 to 15 kilometers long wide and high and they're filled with these mustard seeds which are very little tiny seeds and he says okay at the end of every hundred years you take one mustard seed out and by the time that all these are gone the eon still would not have ended so he's describing this you know utterly long amount of time And then he goes into talking about how the cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning, meaning when you can't discover, it's not possible to discover when did the cycle of rebirth actually start? Like I mentioned, you know, we kind of are trying to date the amount of time that the earth has existed. And right now, you know, they're somewhere between four to five billion years is what they think that the world existed here in terms of the earth. But the cycle of rebirth, the Buddha is saying, it's undiscoverable. You can't discover it. And this can actually be really helpful for you because one of the times the things that the mind kind of gets wrapped around is thinking about, you know, when did all this start? You know, when did it all start? How did I get here? Why am I here today? You know, all these different questions. Well, if you just let that go and you realize you can't discover the time of when it was actually initiated. So just let it go and focus on the here and now that you're in a human birth and the mind is hindered by this ignorance and it's fettered by this craving. And that's what you're working on eliminating because if you can accumulate wisdom to antidote that ignorance, then you'll understand how to eliminate craving. And having eliminated craving, you'll be able to eliminate anger. So you'll be able to eliminate all of these things. And bring this to an end so that you'll no longer experience discontentedness and you'll no longer experience rebirth in the cycle of rebirth what questions do you guys have on this chapter
4: um, yes sir. the mind kind of goes to when reading these discourses the cycle of rebirth could that have been going on prior to the existence of what we now know of as earth and maybe that's what makes it undiscoverable, and that's why we shouldn't really be trying to discover how long this has been going on.
1: It surely could have. You know, there's just no way to determine, you know, how long it's been going on. And the best thing to do is just let it go and realize that it doesn't matter because let's just say that we could discover it. You know, we can't, but let's just say we could. And let's just say it's um 50 eons or 300 eons or however long it is, right? okay, well, what do we do with that information now? How does that help us to eliminate discontentedness? So sometimes the mind gets really stuck in these questions. And even if it got the answer, it doesn't change anything. It's like, okay, well, here's an amount of time the cycle of rebirth has existed. Your mind's still discontent. You've still got to learn the Four Noble Truths. You still got to learn the Eightfold Path. You still got to meditate. So sometimes the mind just, you know, gets wrapped around these things and gets obsessed with it. And the way that I encourage people to do is because you see here, the Buddha saying that it's undiscoverable to discover when it's actually started. And if you look around, there's just no way to really discover it. Then you can just let that go and just bring the mind into the present moment and focus on what you need to do now in order to get closer and closer to enlightenment.
4: Yes. Thank you, sir. Um, There are no other questions at this time, sir.
1: Okay, so we're at Chapter 105.
4: Yes, sir. Let's go to Jan for Chapter 105.
3: Thank you, Miranda. The cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. First discourse. Venerable sir, how many eons have elapsed and gone by? Monks, many eons have elapsed and gone by. It is not easy to count them, and say that they are so many eons or so many hundreds of eons or so many thousands of eons and so many hundreds of thousands of eons but it is possible to give a simile venerable sir it is possible monks. the perfectly enlightened enlightened one said suppose monks there were four disciples here each with a lifespan of a hundred years living a hundred years in each day they were able to remember a hundred thousand eons, there would still be eons not yet remembered by them, when those four disciples, each with a lifespan of a hundred years, living a hundred years, would pass away at the end of a hundred years. It is not easy to count them and say that they are so many eons, or so many hundreds of eons, or so many thousands of eons, or so many hundreds of thousands of eons. For what reason? Because, monks, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. A first point is non identifiable of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance and fettered by craving. For such a long time, monks, you have experienced discontentedness, misery and disaster and swelled the cemetery. It is enough to experience fading away of strong feelings towards all conditions, enough to become free from strong feelings towards them enough to be liberated from
1: them. Thank you, Jan. So here, once again, the Buddha is describing this undiscoverable beginning, this long, you know, eon. But let me take you into some things here that I think are helpful to look at above and beyond what we've already been discussing, because these discourses are very similar. Beings roaming and wandering, right? He uses this in different places in his discourses. If you think back to when you maybe had a lot more craving than you have now, this is essentially what we do. Or if you look around the world of people who aren't on the path to enlightenment, this is essentially what we do. We roam and wander. We have these cravings and we chase, 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 chase. If we get our craving, okay, we get happy. If we don't get our craving, we get angry. And then, you know, there's a period of time where maybe we're not doing too much. And then all of a sudden another craving comes up and we chase, 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 thinking this is going to fulfill our mind and somehow we're going to be inwardly fulfilled by this. We acquire what we were looking for, and those temporary feelings fade away, the happiness, excitement, or elation, or we don't get what we wanted, and then we experience this anger, this sadness, or frustration, or what have you. It's just like roaming and wandering. It's almost like that's what we've been doing our whole life, is just chasing from one craving to the next, one craving to the next, just wandering in this life and in previous lives as well. So it's helpful to look at that because... Once you start getting on this path to enlightenment and you start really focusing on it and getting dedicated you have this real goal and this real objective to to get to enlightenment and then as you get closer and closer to enlightenment you would have sorted out many aspects of your life you would know by that point what is your livelihood and what is it that you're going to be doing and you know you're going to sort out you know the way that you're going to conduct yourself you'll have sorted out you know where you feel best about living in the world where before we understand these things, we might roam and wonder. We might move from one place to the other to the other. We might have one boyfriend, one girlfriend bounce around from relationship to relationship. We might bounce around from career to career to career. All this roaming and wondering we're doing, trying to kind of figure out what makes this mind tick. Well, as you train the mind and you get rid of craving, anger, and ignorance and this pollution is eradicated, more and more you come into understanding what is it that you're going to do in this life. Because if this is going to be your last life, you would like it to be conducted in a certain way that you accomplish the things that you have set out to accomplish and that you would like to accomplish certain things. So by the time you get to enlightenment, you're no longer roaming and wandering. You have a very clear direction in life of what it is that you're looking to do, where at other times in our life, we wouldn't necessarily say that. We were very much roaming and wandering, trying to figure out what we're going to do in this world. So part of the path to enlightenment and part of what you're doing as you're getting rid of the craving, anger, and ignorance is eliminating this roaming and wandering and truly figuring out what this being who you are now is going to be doing in this world for the rest of this life as your last life and then the other thing that i'd like to point out which has shown up in some of the other discourses but i'll just focus in on it here is the buddha talks about here it is enough to experience fading away of strong feelings towards all conditions what he's talking about here is impermanent conditions is that if you're roaming and wandering and you're you have this ignorance and you have this craving and you're grabbing on to i want a new job or i want a new pair of shoes or i want a new house i i want this i want that i want this all these impermanent conditions thinking that this is what's going to create the inner peacefulness but in reality you just get these temporary happiness excitement and elation these strong feelings and then they fade away and if you don't get those objects of your affection based on the conditions that the mind is set out to chase after, then you experience these painful feelings and then those eventually fade away too. So what the Buddha is talking about here is experiencing the fading away of strong feelings towards all conditions where your mind is no longer longing and yearning with these strong feelings like i've got to have that new pair of shoes or i got to have that new diamond ring or i've got to have that new purse or i just got to have that new job and if i don't get that new job i'm going to be so angry right this is where when you are arising wisdom in the mind eradicating that ignorance and when you are eliminating this craving this mental longing strong eagerness for these conditions. You understand that none of these external things are going to cause permanent peacefulness in the mind. You still have goals, objectives, and interests that you pursue, but you know that in pursuing all these things, that's not what's going to bring the inner fulfillment in the mind. And then that's where the mind becomes free of these strong feelings, and it then becomes liberated, where it's liberated from this constant cycle of experiencing the chasing after what you want, you get it, temporary pleasant feelings. You don't get it, painful feelings, right? So the mind gets liberated from this and you know very clearly what it is that you're interested in doing in this life. And you just do that and you just do it well and be completely comfortable with impermanence and any change that comes about. What questions do you guys have on this chapter?
4: It does not appear that there are any questions at this time, sir. All right, so we'll go to
1: 106. Yes, sir, let's go to Ali to read chapter
4: 106.
5: Um, Thank you, Miranda. The cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning, second discourse. Master Gautama, how many eons have elapsed? and gone by. <clears throat> Brahman, many eons have elapsed and gone by. It, it's not easy to count them and say they are so many eons or so many hundreds of eons or so many thousands of eons or so many hundreds thousands of eons. But is it possible to give a semi-, semi Similarly, Master Gautama, it is possible, Brahman. The perfected, enlightened one said, "Suppose, suppose, Brahman, the grain of sand between the point where the river gained originate, and the point where it entered the great ocean, it is not easy to count these and say there are so many." grains of sand, or so many hundreds of grains, so many thousands of grains, so many hundreds of thousands of grains. Brahman, the eons that have elapsed and gone by are even more numerous than that. It is not easy to count them and say that they are so many eons, or so many hundreds of eons, or so many thousands of eons, or so many hundreds of thousands of eons. For what reason? Because, Brahman, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. At first point, it's not identifiable of being roaming and wandering on hindered by ignorance and knowing of true reality, and fettered by craving. For such a long time, Brahman, you have experienced discontentness, mystery, and disaster, and swelled at the cemetery. It is enough to experience fading away of strong feelings toward all conditions, enough to become free from strong feelings towards them, Enough to be liberated from them.
1: All right. Thank you, Ali. This is another chapter essentially reinforcing the same things that we've already learned. But these are kind of things that are happening at different times. Because remember, Gautama Buddha taught for 45 years. So he didn't just, you know, even though they're showing up in the book one after another. You know, he might have said this, you know, in one year and two or three years later, he might've said this to another person because these are people who are asking him questions, students, and here a Brahmin, which is a, a Hindu priest essentially asking the Buddha questions. So the content here is the same different simile, just explaining how the cycle of rebirth has no discoverable beginning and how these eons are just, you know, countless and numerous. So it would be, you know, impossible to explain how long an eon is and when did the cycle of rebirth actually begin what questions do you guys have on this chapter
4: it does not appear there are any questions at this time sir
1: okay so we'll move on to chapter 107
4: yes sir uh beings roaming and wandering on through this beginning the cycle of rebirth monks This cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. The first point is not identifiable of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance, unknowing of true reality, and fettered by craving. One person roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance and fettered by craving, would leave behind a stack of bones, a heap of bones, a pile of bones as large as this Mount Bepula. If there were someone to collect them, and what is collected would not perish. For what reason? Because, monks, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not identifiable of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance, and fettered by craving. For such a long time, monks, you have experienced discontentedness, misery, and disaster, and swelled the cemetery. It is enough to experience fading away of strong feelings toward all conditions, enough to become free from strong feeling toward them, enough to be liberated from them. This is what the perfectly enlightened one said. Having said this, the fortunate one, the teacher, further said this, the heap of bones one person leaves behind with the passing of a single eon would form a heap as high as a mountain, so said the great sage. This is declared to be as massive as the tall Bepula mountain standing north of Vulture Peak in the Magadan mountain range. But when one sees with correct wisdom the truths of the noble ones, discontentedness and its cause, the elimination of discontentedness and the noble eightfold path that leads to discontentedness is calming, then that person, having wandered on for seven more times at most, makes an end to discontentedness by destroying all the fetters.
1: All right. Thank you, Miranda. So here, the Buddha is saying essentially the same thing that we've seen in the other chapters. He's using another analogy, this heap of bones. And then in this particular discourse that he's speaking to somebody, he goes on and he talks about how when one sees with correct wisdom the truths of the noble ones. These are the four noble truths. Discontentedness, meaning that's the problem. is Discontentedness is the problem, these conditioned feelings its cause, which is craving, desire, attachment. The elimination is the elimination of craving, desire, attachment, eliminating the mental longing, strong eagerness. And the way to completely eliminate discontentedness is the Noble Eightfold Path. That leads to discontentedness's calming, meaning it completely eliminates discontentedness from the mind. Then that person, having wandered on for seven more times at most makes an end to discontentness by destroying the fetters so here what the buddha is actually talking about is he's talking about the four noble truths and then he talks about kind of diminishing not actually eliminating but diminishing discontentedness so why saying the calming of discontentedness because this is a person who's he's describing that's in the first stage of enlightenment because he's saying here This person wanders on for seven more times at most. This is the stream enter. And in that first stage of enlightenment, you've diminished and significantly reduced discontentedness or here the word that's being used is calming discontentedness. And at that point, once somebody makes their way into the first stage of enlightenment as a stream enter, they will attain enlightenment in that life or some future life with. A maximum of seven more rebirths so if somebody gets the stream entry and they die they could be born two more times or three more times or one more time it really depends on the individual but at most seven more times they're destined to get to enlightenment and make an end to discontentedness and then here he says by destroying the fetters those ten fetters are what's keeping the mind in the unenlightened state and it's keeping this Being continuously trapped, continually being reborn in the cycle of rebirth. What a fetter is, is it's a ball and chain around your ankle. It's like a shackle with a chain and a ball attached to it. And this is what keeps it being trapped in the unenlightened state. So by eradicating the mind or destroying all the fetters and eradicating these pollutions of the fetters, then it's like unshackling yourself from this cycle of rebirth so that now the mind is free it's liberated it will no longer experience any discontentedness in this life and there will no longer be any rebirth at all what questions do you guys have on this chapter
4: it does not appear that there are any questions at this time sir
1: all right we'll go to chapter 108
4: yes sir let's go to jan to read chapter 108 please thank you miranda
3: the long course in the cycle of rebirth Monks, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not identifiable of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance and fettered by craving. Suppose, monks, a man would cut up whatever grass, sticks, branches, and foliage there is in this Jambodipa, Jambodipa, one of the great continents, and collect them together into a single heap. Having done so, he would put them down saying, for each one, this is my mother. This is my mother's mother. The sequence of that man's mothers and grandmothers would not come to an end. Yet the grass, wood, branches and foliage in this Jambu Depot would be used up and exhausted. For what reason? Because monks, the cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not identifiable of roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance and fettered by craving. For such a long time, monks, you have experienced discontentedness, misery, and disaster, and swelled the cemetery. It is enough to experience fading away of strong feelings towards all conditions, enough to become free from strong feelings towards them, enough to be liberated from them. Monks, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not identifiable of beings roaming And wandering on hindered by ignorance and fettered by craving suppose monks a man would reduce this great earth to balls of clay the size of jujube kernels kernels, six millimeters or a quarter inch long and put them down saying for each one this is my father this is my father's father the sequence of that man's fathers and grandfathers would not come to an end yet this great earth would be used up and exhausted for what reason? Because monks, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not identifiable of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance, fettered by craving. For such a long time, monks, you have experienced discontentedness, misery, and disaster, and swelled the cemetery. It is enough to experience fading away of strong feelings towards all conditions, enough to become free from strong feelings towards them enough to be liberated from them
1: all right thank you jan here is another discourse explaining essentially the same thing but in a different way so i'll just see if there's any questions that you guys have on this particular discourse
4: uh no sir there does not appear to be any questions at this time
1: okay so we'll go to the next one which is chapter 109
4: yes sir let's go to Allie to read chapter
5: 109 Thank you, Miranda. Um, not easy to find unrelated beings in the long course of the cycle of rebirths. Mom, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. At first point, it's not identifiable of being roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance, unknowing of true reality, and fettered by craving, cravings one person roaming and wandering on hindering by ignorant unknowing of true reality and fettered dead by craving it is not easy monks to find a being who in this long course has not previously been your mothers for what for what reasons because monks this cycle of rebirth is with with our discovering beginning, the first point is not identifiable of being roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorant, unknown, or true reality, and fettered by craving. For such a long time, monk, you have experienced discontentness, misery and disaster, and in the cemetery. It is enough to experience the fading a way of strong feeling towards all conditions, enough to become free from strong feeling towards them, enough to be liberated from them. monk this cycle of rebirth is not without this beginning. It is not easy, monk to find a being who in this long course has not previously been your father. For what reason? Because, monk, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. It is enough to be liberated from them. Monk, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginnings. It is not easy, monk, to find a being who in this long course has not previously been your brother. For what reason? because monk this cycle of rebirth is not without discoverable beginning it is enough to be liberated from them monk this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning it is not easy monk to find a being who in this long course, has not previously been your sister for what reasons monk i'm sorry because monk this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. It is enough to be liberated from them. monks. this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. It is not easy, monk, to find a being who, in this long course, has not previously been your son. For what reasons? Because, monk, This cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. It is enough to be liberated from them. Mom, this cycle of rebirth is not without discoverable beginning. At first point, it is not discerned of being roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance and unknowing of true reality and feathers by craving. It is not easy, monks. To find a being who in this long course has not previously been your daughter's. For what reason? Because monk, the cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not identifiable of being roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance and knowing of true reality, and fettered it by craving. For such a long time, monks, you have experienced the discontentness, mystery, and disaster, and swallowed the cemetery. It is enough to experience faking a way of strong feelings toward all condition. Enough to become free from strong feelings towards them. Enough to be liberated from them.
1: All right. Thank you, Ali. Thank you. Here we have some more information that the Buddha is describing here. In addition to what he's already been describing, he adds in how beings have been roaming and wandering in this cycle of rebirth for so long that it would basically be impossible to find a being that exists today that has not previously been your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, or some other relative. Where this can really help you is this can really help you to cultivate loving kindness and compassion for all beings because oftentimes we look at other people as strangers, right? We use this word that, you know, this person is a stranger. And then there's like this fear that comes into the mind that, you know, I shouldn't talk to a stranger. Where if you understand the natural laws of existence, you understand the natural law of karma really well, of cause and effect, you understand that, yeah, I can talk to somebody who I do not know and I've never met in this life, and I can talk to this person and nothing harmful is going to happen. I can just talk and you know, have a, a decent conversation. But if we were reluctant to talk to strangers, then we would never meet anybody new because everybody that we've never met before is somebody we've never met before, it might be considered a stranger. And then we would just kind of be pushing people away and be fearful of talking or meeting new people and interacting with others. But when you let that go and you realize, like, hey, all of these beings are my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter. Now when you walk down the street, you can smile at anybody that you see. Or if you see an animal, you can be so loving and kind to it. So you can arise this loving kindness, this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, and you can arise this compassion or this concern for the misfortune of others. Because you acknowledge and you understand that all of these beings that you're around, They've been your relative at some point in the past. And maybe when you were a lizard, you know, you and I were sisters and when we were baboons, you know, I was your father and you were my child or you were my father or mother and I was your child or something like this, right? There's all these countless existences that we've all had, so many that the Buddha is describing here that it would be not easy to find somebody that hasn't previously been your relative and if you think that way when you go out into the world you can interact with people in a very different way you know i've commented in these classes before that here in thailand we refer to people as our brothers and sisters our mom and dad or grandmother grandfather even someone you never met before if you go to a restaurant the thai language is such that we call each other the pronoun that is associated with that particular relationship. So if I go to a store and there's an elderly lady there, I might call her grandmother or I might call her mom. Or if there's an elderly man, I might call him grandfather or father. Or if there's a, a someone who's maybe five or ten years older than me, I might call them big brother or big sister. Or if there's someone who's a little bit younger than me, I might call them little brother or little sister. If you come in contact with children, you might call them your own child. There's language that we use to refer to them as if they are our own child. So this type of thinking can be cultivated in your mind, even though in your culture and in your language, it would be kind of strange if you went out maybe and talked with people that way right now. Maybe in the future it won't be so strange, but right now it might be kind of strange if you went out and called people grandmother and grandfather, so forth and so on. But if you think this way and you produce this thinking that all these people are your relatives, then you'll maybe find it easier to practice right intention or easier to practice right speech or right action. You might be able to arise loving kindness and compassion in situations where you otherwise weren't able to. So keep this in mind as you kind of navigate the world and you come in contact with different beings that these aren't strangers. These are just relatives from the past that you haven't yet met in this life yet and be willing to talk with other people and kind of knock down any kind of uh, barriers that are maybe hindering you from being able to talk with others freely and have that open relationship where you can talk and have a conversation and then just move on and not feel like just because you're talking with somebody, you have to be their best friend, that you can have a conversation and you can just move on from it. What questions do you guys have on this chapter?
4: Um, Yes, sir. I was wondering if you have any guidance on how we could maybe explain this to others who might not be on the path and might not understand the cycle of rebirth and how all of that works, sir?
1: Yeah, something that you might say like co-worker situation, right? You know, if you're like, you know, working with people and you can say, you know, I feel like you're my sister. I, I I treat you as if you're my brother or I respect you as if you are my brother. But one thing you need to be aware of is that depending on what those people's relationship is with their brother, their sister, their mother and so forth, you might be entering into a situation where they're starting to associate things with you in a negative way if they're having challenges in those relationships. So it can be helpful to understand the relationship they have with those people in their life before you kind of talk that way with them. Because there can be what's called transference. Like let's say somebody has a really difficult time with their sister and they've had a struggling relationship their whole life and now you start calling them sister they're going to transfer those feelings of difficulty with sister to you and it can actually be complicated. Here in Thailand we don't have that issue because family relationships tend to be, you know, very well maintained and people respect their family really really well. So when we call each other these family names, you know, <clears throat> in these family relationships, it's just, you know, quite normal. But In Western cultures, we sometimes really struggle in relationships. And there can be this transference of negative feelings or negative emotions. And you just would like to pay attention to that. And if you're going to talk with people in a way that they are your relative, be sure you understand a little bit about their family life, that this is a healthy relationship that they have with their brothers or sisters and so forth, because that's not always the case. And Uh, most countries actually
4: yes thank you sir that's very wise Mm -hmm. thank you very much
1: yes you're welcome
4: Uh, it does not appear that we have any other questions at this time sir
1: sure and let me just add one thing to that Miranda while it would be wonderful if other people you know understood this thinking and and thought of you as their relative in in a real wholesome way What's really important, though, is for your practice is while it would be wonderful for us to explain these things to people, but as long as your mind is thinking as if this person is a relative, even if you don't mention it to them, that that's how you're thinking and that's how you're relating to them, but it's beneficial for your thinking.
4: Yes, sir. Thank you. Mm
1: -hmm. You're welcome. All right. So the last chapter for today is chapter 110.
4: Yes, sir. Let's go to Jan
3: to read chapter 110, sir. Thank you, Miranda. The Stream of Tears. Monks, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not identifiable of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance and fettered by craving. What do you think, monks? Which is more, the stream of tears that you've shed as you roamed and wandered on, through this long course, crying and wailing because of being united with the disagreeable and separated from the agreeable, this or the water in the four great oceans. As we understand the teachings taught by the perfectly enlightened one, venerable Sir, the stream of tears that we have shed as we roamed and wandered through this long course, crying and wailing because of being united with the disagreeable and separated from the agreeable. This alone is more than the water and the four great oceans. Good, good monks, it is good that you understand the teachings taught by me in such a way. The stream of tears that you have shed as you roamed and wandered through this long course, crying and wailing because of being united with the disagreeable and separated from the agreeable. This alone is more than the water and the four great oceans. For a long time, monks, you have experienced the death of a mother As you have experienced this crying and wailing because of being united with the disagreeable and separated from the agreeable, the stream of tears that you have shed is more than the water in the four great oceans. For a long time, monks, you have experienced the death of a father, the death of a brother, the death of a sister, the death of a son, the death of a daughter, the loss of relatives, the loss of wealth, loss through illness. As you have experienced this, crying and wailing because of being united with the disagreeable and separated from the agreeable, the stream of tears that you have shed is more than the water in the four great oceans. For what reason? Because monks, this cycle of rebirth is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not identifiable of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance and fettered by craving. For such a long time monks, You've experienced discontentedness, misery, and disaster, and swelled the cemetery. It is enough to experience fading away of strong feelings towards all conditions, enough to become free from strong feelings toward them, enough to be liberated from them.
1: All right. Thank you, Jan. Where The Buddha's talking here, and he's describing how much tears, essentially, that we've cried in all these past lives because of you know, being united with the disagreeable, meaning coming in contact with things that we disagree with, or being separated from things that we really want, the agreeable. He's saying there's all this crying, all this discontentness, all these tears. He's saying this volume of water that we've cried is larger than all the four great oceans. So we know how much water is in this world, and the Buddha's saying that we've cried more than that and if you think about your current life i don't know what your life has been like but my life was truly quite challenging until these teachings came about and started practicing these but there was plenty of times even in this life where i would just cry and cry and cry because of so many problems that i was encountering and if you think about that multiplied over you know countless lives that this is what the buddha is describing and this can actually be motivation for you to get to enlightenment because Again, I don't know what your life has been like, but there were definitely long periods of time in my life where there was just lots of misery, lots of despair, and lots of time just being angry and frustrated and irritated. And you know, the mind is kind of you know boggled with all these problems and not knowing how to solve these problems. It just takes up so much time in your life being burdened with all of this discontentedness. If you can imagine getting rid of all of that, and now just being able to live life and be fulfilled. And no matter what happens, your mind is peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy. There's this joy there all the time. And you get rid of all this misery and despair. That's what you can do with this particular discourse is use it to remind yourself of, you know, how much misery you maybe have experienced in this life. Not as a way of like, you know, being down or depressed or anything, but just use it as motivation to be like, you know what? I'm not interested in in doing that anymore. You know, it's between, you know, watching TV or meditating. Let me go meditate or it's between surfing on Facebook or meditating. Let me go meditate. Or it's between, you know, doing something else that is problematic or difficult or going to learn in class or or read the books or seek some personal guidance or whatever it is. You know, look towards walking towards the light and getting to enlightenment and walk away from this misery and these tears that you've experienced and getting to that point where you put in the work to get to this enlightened mental state. Then you've overcome all those challenges because by delaying meditation or delaying reading the books or delaying going to classes or retreats or things like this, by delaying all that stuff, you're just choosing to stay in the discontentedness for longer and longer periods of time and staying in these tiers. But by prioritizing your practice and ensuring that you are instead moving towards the cultivation of wisdom and training the mind in meditation, then you're choosing to leave behind all of these things. And While you're still going to experience challenges and maybe some more misery as you're making your way to enlightenment, those days can be numbered as you learn and you practice and you train the mind. You can leave all of this behind and realize that this discontentedness is impermanent. You can put it into this because you have these teachings. You have a teacher. You have a community. You have the ability to learn and you can put an end to all of this and no longer experience the, you know constant shaking up of the mind and here the buddha is talking about these tears you can get away from all of this where there's any kind of misery based on being confronted with things that you disagree with and being con- separated from things that you agree with what the buddha is really talking about here is also underlying all of this is craving desire attachment because when you have a craving for something agreeable then when you're separated from it, there's going to be painful feelings. Or if you have a certain craving to want things a certain way, and then you see something that's disagreeable, then when you come in contact with that, that's when the mind's going to be discontent. But when you eliminate the craving, desire, attachment, then there isn't this agreeable and disagreeable that's in the mind. You have certain things that you prefer as an enlightened being. You might prefer something, but you can be peaceful and joyful Regardless, whether you get what it is that you prefer or you end up having something else, you can be peaceful and joyful regardless. So if you go sit down at a friend's house for a meal and you start eating the food, it's like, oh, wow, this is so delicious. This is amazing food. You might be thinking about that in your mind, like, wow, this is so amazing. But you know that it's impermanent, that it's not permanent and that it's only a matter of time before you sit down somewhere for a meal and it's like, hmm, this doesn't taste uh, so so wonderful, but you can still eat it and you can still be peaceful and joyful even though you acknowledge that the taste isn't maybe what you would prefer. Where maybe in another situation before understanding this, you might have been so happy with the wonderful tasting food, and then when you encounter this disagreeable thing because of craving, you would experience maybe anger or frustration because the food doesn't taste as good. So you can get to a point where, when there is no craving in the mind, you have certain preferences that you are interested in ensuring that you have, but you understand that it's not possible for you to permanently get everything that you prefer. But since the craving isn't there anymore, When you encounter things that you would not prefer, then you can still be peaceful and joyful regardless. So that's how you eliminate the discontentedness associated with being united with the disagreeable and separated from the agreeable is you get rid of the cravings that are producing the desire to have something agreeable and the desire to not be in contact with something disagreeable. And you realize that all of these things are impermanent. And as long as you allow your mind to cling and hold on to them, there's going to be discontentedness. So this will can fade away the more that you eliminate the craving, desire, attachment that's producing in the mind. I want this. I don't want that. When the mind's doing that still, then it's going to be discontent when it's united with the disagreeable and separated from the agreeable. Instead, it's like, well, I prefer this, but if I have this, I'm fine with that too, right? The mind can be peaceful and joyful regardless. And that's what you would like to work towards. What questions do you have on this chapter?
4: It does not appear that we have any questions at this time, sir.
1: All right. Well, it looks like we're all done for today's class. Had I known that our class was going to be this short, I probably would have done some longer meditation with you guys, but that's okay. So we've been having a little bit longer classes recently, so now we have a little bit shorter one, give you some free time to maybe go off and do your own meditation or do some more reading or something like that, because next week we're going to be in chapters 111 through 120. So you can read those chapters and come to class. And for anybody who's joining us for the first time, you can download these through buddhadailywisdom.com or you can take it and go print that file or you can order them on Amazon and get copies that way. And that way, if you would like printed versions, you have those. Or if you're comfortable with reading an electronic version, you can just have an electronic version and read it online. Tomorrow in our group learning program, We're going to be in Chapter 19 of Volume 1. This is the first book in the book series in the group learning program, a seven-month program. We go chapter by chapter. Chapter 19 is The Difficult Human Existence, Sickness, Aging, and Death. This is where we're going to be discussing a bit about the life story of Gautama Buddha. And I'm going to help you understand sickness, aging, and death, which are three out of the four observations that motivated the Buddha to get to enlightenment and we'll describe what these four observations are that motivated him to go on this journey to get to enlightenment but then i'm also going to help you understand these conditions that we experience in the human state of sickness aging and death because these are typically the most problematic for humans to deal with is when we're sick when we're aging when we're getting close to death or people around us are dying the unenlightened mind doesn't understand this and has a lot of difficulty. So I'm going to not only explain to you the life story of Gotama Buddha, but help you understand how you can overcome the challenges that you might experience when you're experiencing sickness, aging, and death of others or nearing to death for yourself. So that'll be tomorrow in the group learning program. And then on Wednesday, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation together. So you're welcome to come together and meditate together on Wednesday. So thank you all for joining for today's class. I'll see you in one of these future classes. Have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. Sawadee
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com.